0: Well, welcome to the Career Pro Inc. podcast and short movie. I don't want to overstate the case here, but we're here with Dr. Walden on where the jobs will be, where the jobs are at, where they're coming from, where they're going. Uh, We can retitle this anytime, but I'm so glad to have Dr. Walden here today. I'm going to share the screen right now for those who are able to watch this for the audio. I think it'll be very self-explanatory, and we're going to get right into the topic Uh, as soon as Dr. Walden is ready to go and it looks like he's ready. So Dr. Walden, again, thank you so much. If you don't mind, I have a nice little bio I want to read to start this off and uh, Michael L. Walden, Dr. Walden, Dr. Michael L. Walden is a William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor and Extension Economist at North Carolina State University and member of the Graduate Economics Faculty with the Poole School of Management. His PhD PhD degree is from Cornell University and he has been in NC State since 1978. He has also been a visiting professor at Duke University. He he serves also as a member of the North Carolina Chamber of Commerce Foundation's Board of Economic Advisors. Dr. Walden has teaching, research, extension responsibilities at NCSU in the areas of consumer economics, economic outlook, public policy. He has published eight books and over 250 articles and reports, including the book, North Carolina in the Connected Age, published by UNC Press. He served on several local and state commissions with his wife. He is the co-author of three economic thrillers, Macro Mayhem, Micro Mischief, and Fiscal Fiasco, designed to teach economists in an entertaining way. Dr. Walden can frequently be seen, heard, and read in the media. He has daily radio programs aired on stations around North Carolina, for which he has won two national awards, He is often interviewed on local TV and radio news broadcasts, has appeared on NBC, CBS, The Fox Report, NewsHour with Jim Lehrer, and is frequently quoted in such newspapers as USA Today, The News and Observer, Charlotte Observer, The Boston Globe, The Wall Street Journal, and The Washington Post. His bi-weekly column, which I highly recommend you decide, is carried by over 40 newspapers in the state. He has made over 2,500 personal presentations. Uh, 2,501 as according to today. Uh, Dr. Walden directs the Semiannual Economic Forecast, the North Carolina Economic Outlook. He has won numerous academic and public awards, including two Champion Tuck Awards for Excellence in Broadcasting, the UNC Board of Governors Award for Excellence in Public Service in 2010, and the Order of the Longleaf Pine in 2013. And the Holiday Medal for Excellence from North Carolina State University in 2014. His newest books are Real Solutions, Common Sense Ideas for Solving Our Most Pressing Problems, and Disunion, a Political Thriller. How timely, Dr. Walden, on <laughs> all of those publications. And we just welcome you again today. And we're going to talk up, talk about jobs, job, jobs, where <laughs> they will be. That's the actual title, title Dr. Walden. Let's roll.
1: Well, thank you very much, John. Thank you for taking the time to, <clears throat> to do this broadcast. And um, hopefully the information I'm going to provide will be useful to your, your uh, colleagues and, and those people who, who, uh, take a, who have a chance to look at this. And you're going to advance the slides for me, so I'll let you go to the next slide. Uh, we have seen uh, some very distinct trends and I think most people watching this podcast will know that greatest thing trends in the job market. Um, I started college now, uh, this will reveal my age, over 50 years ago. And uh, we, we saw them even then. And that is that uh, my father, for example, was a laborer. His first job was uh, was um, uh, breaking up concrete with, uh, with one of those large drills. And, and then he got trained and went on to be a carpenter for about for about 40 years, but even then we could see that machines were coming, technology was coming. And, and so there's been a big shift in the job market in, in recent decades to where employers are increasingly uh, focused on uh, cognitive skills, uh, how people can help them in making, making decisions, analyzing problems, and away from physical skills because increasingly we have machinery and even now more recently technology uh, that can, can uh, do those physical skills. So, so that's one, one of the broader um, trends that we've seen. And as the, and, and probably I will say in this century, as we've seen uh, technological improvements, I mean, my gosh, we're, we're now talking about uh, driverless vehicles. We're talking about um, uh, artificial intelligence uh, where robots can make decisions, et cetera, many times better than people. Um, We think there's going to be a a ramp up in this focus on cognitive skills away from physical skills. And I think to add another layer to this, the pandemic has has really taken us to a different level here because let's face it, if you're an employer and you've seen what has happened in the last year where uh, some of your folks get infected and maybe you've been told you had to shut down. uh, Employers are now looking at people In some sense, as a liability, because they can get sick, they can spread disease. uh, Your business can be closed down in order that you don't affect affect, infect your customers. Now we hope another pandemic doesn't come, but but who knows? So I think that's added another layer to this shift away from uh, physical skills, the cognitive skills, and the, the extra layer is even moving away from people skills, whatever the skills are, to performing tasks using machinery and technology. And I think that this will be reflected as I go through the, um, the areas that I think will actually be growing in jobs. And, and the last thing on the slide, let technolo- that's fine, John. The next, the last thing on the slide, technological unemployment, that's, that's a term that's been around a long time, but I think you're gonna hear more and more about it because this is the term that implies that uh, we, we develop a new technology, we, 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 we see technology becoming more capable, and that's going to push people out. And so I think that's something we're increasingly going to have to worry about as we move into the post-pandemic economy. All right, John, thank, next slide. So what I'm going to present uh, to you uh, is uh, the results of a recent report put out by the World Economic Forum. It's a very uh, capable, very well-respected um, Um, international group that, among other things, looks at the job market and where the jobs are going to be, and I'm going to use their um, uh, uh, forecast for where the biggest growth in the job sectors will be, and we'll talk about what those are and maybe what the skills will be. Next slide, John. And there are um, seven categories that I'm going to talk about. This would probably be at the top of my list. In fact, when I have given talks and I give about 80 to 90 talks, at least pre-pandemic, I did, Uh, all all the talks are now using this technology. When I give talks around the state to groups, usually um, I'll have people, you've been in group settings before, people will come up to you and they maybe are shy about asking questions in the the big forum. They wanna corner the the speaker and ask the, the speaker a specific question for them. And that's fine, I enjoy that. But one of the more common questions I've gotten in recent years, it's usually by someone who looks like maybe a grandmother or grandfather, and they say, Dr. Walden, tell me, um, Johnny or Sally or or, um, uh, Atisha or or Kamal, they're going to college, they want to know what kind, I want to know what what they should study, what's something that they can study that's going to ensure them a job. This has usually been, even before this World Economic Forum study came out, has usually been my top uh, contender: data logistics and artificial intelligence. Um, we're collecting more and more data. We have the ability to collect more and more data. Some of it as individuals we're worried about, but businesses, governments, sellers—they uh, are able to collect more and more data, so they have more data to look at to help them in the decision making. But just having data isn't very good if you if you can't organize it. Number one. And number two, if you don't know how to use it to help your decision-making. So um, this area, data logistics and artificial intelligence, would include a number of uh, components. One is simply collecting and or organizing data. And we're talking about, in many cases, millions, billions of pieces of data. Being able to organize that, collect it and organize it so it can be useful. Number two, analyzing that data. Uh, data are no good unless you can know how to analyze it and see what it's telling you analyze it and interpret it for decision makers. And then the third component here, and this is this is just beginning to get ramped up, is using that data and the models and the understanding that you, you've gotten about the data from step number two, using that to predict behavior. I mean, that's what's really behind, for example, driverless vehicles. That's really under the moniker of artificial intelligence where we're using data to help us understand behavior, help us understand if X happens and Y is going to happen, and then using that, those relationships to predict change, predict, predict behavior. So this is all wrapped into this one area. I find it fascinating. Now necessary skills, uh, and this is one I should say, this is one nice thing the World Economic Forum has done is they don't just tell you where they think the jobs are going to be, but the skills that a person would need to, to get into that area. Clearly computer programming, statistical analysis modeling. This doesn't apply. you have to have all those skills, but these would be three that would go in with this area. So I think this is going to be big. Uh, I think this is an excellent area for it. The way I would sell it to a young person is it's like solving a mystery. Uh, data, hold, hold, data hold information. Data actually is a plural. The media always says data is. Data are, data is a plural. Uh, data hold mysteries. And so the notion here is, can we unlock those mysteries and, and, and see what the data are telling us that we can then use to make decisions or predict behavior? All right, next, number two, John. Number two is engineering cloud uh, computing. The cloud is, is uh, again, a little background here. When I started at NC State in 1978, there were no computers. Well, we didn't have the big computers, but there were no personal computers. If I wrote my first book, I wrote on, on a legal pad. Um, um, fortunately, had good people to type it for me. Um, now, of course, we've, tra- we've, we've moved on to computers. And first, we, uh, I guess we, we, we would do our files. We would save them on the computer. Uh, then we would save them on disks. And then we would save them on flash drives. And now we, don't even, we save them in what's called the cloud. And all the cloud, of course, means that you've got some some data farm somewhere in the country. We actually have a couple big ones here in North Carolina where you can save your, your data files, you can save your manuscripts, you can save your, uh, your book manuscripts, et cetera, offsite, offline, highly protected. You don't have to worry about losing it. So this is a big deal about building these, these cloud uh, centers and uh, then using them. And increasingly, I, I was in the market recently for a laptop. And one of the things I need, wanted in a laptop was I wanted to make sure that uh, Office, uh, Word, uh, PowerPoint, and Excel, those are the three that I most use, programs, was on, were on the, uh, that those were on the computer, the laptop. And so I was shopping around, and I noticed that um, they kept saying, uh, yeah, you have access to these. But I found out, no, I don't really have them on my computer. They're off in a cloud somewhere. And I can just bring them down and use them when I need it so that I don't have to worry about taking up space on my laptop, I can just do that. So uh, this is where the cloud is beginning to, I mean, I think it's still in its embryonic stage, but we're just beginning to realize the power that uh, of cloud storage as well as cloud computing uh, can perhaps give us. And this is wrapped up with engineering because there are a lot of engineering concepts here too. So again, and if you go to the third bullet point, necessary skills here again, you'll have to have all of them. But these would be majors or focuses in your study, young person study, and if they wanted to get in this area, software development, computer networking, uh, web development, etc. Uh, maybe even a little bit engineering. I think engineers are beginning to get into this. So this is, I think, another area that's really on the verge of, of expanding dramatically. My right, number three, John. Product development. Now, the old person I am, 70 years old, I understand product development. So this has been around for a long, long time. So this isn't something new. Uh, but the notion here is that we are in an economy now that is changing so rapidly. I mean, that's always been said. The economy's changing, And again, I've been at this game as a professional economist for over four decades. But I do think my sense is, and what I've read, is that things are changing much more rapidly than they have in the past. So that means more opportunities for new products, new services in any field. Uh, now, this has always been, been important. But again, the pace of technological development, uh, I think, is accelerated. And um, so you have, to be, you have to be cognizant of that. And this is opening up new opportunities. So this, I think, is another field that the experts think is, is actually going to grow. It's not a new field, but it's another, new, another field that's going to grow. Uh, a lot of skills could fit in here. Engineering, um, just basic business management, uh, computer software, uh, quality control. I think that's probably an area that that is that is really developing the ability for us to, to test products and services better before they're deployed for use in the field. So, uh, again, this is an oldie product development, old field, but I think uh, uh, one that is undergoing a lot of change and I think is probably going to be needed more and more now than perhaps in the past. Number four, John, Uh, sales and marketing. Again, one I can wrap my head around because this has been around forever, sales and marketing. Uh, But again, like product development, it is changing. It is dramatically changing. Uh, For example, John was very nice to mention my new books, two new books out uh, that I wrote that that were published in 2020. Um, The last book I had, and John did mention this, 2017, the... um, Second book I've written about the North Carolina economy. I remember when that came out, UNC Press organized uh, a lot of um, um, bookstore readings for me. Uh, they organized press meetings for me. Uh, they organized interviews, et cetera. All the traditional things that that I was used to. And I'm not a sales and marketing person, but I knew was part of at least marketing a book: uh, talk to people, uh, do uh, personal presentations maybe write some articles for the newspaper or magazines, etc. These last two books, the marketing has been totally different. And in fact, I really wasn't ready for that. I was focused on writing the book because now it's all about social media. I've learned that now. And, and one of my publishers, when I was finished and we were ready to market the book, they said, now, now Dr. Walden, uh, we'll use uh, your Facebook page and your Twitter account, etc." cetera. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've never used social media. I'm one of those dinosaurs. I don't use social media. I had to set up a Twitter account. I had to set up a Facebook account. I had to set up an Instagram account. And I had to actually rely on some of my younger friends to help, help me do that. So the, the sales and marketing has, has totally changed. You've got to get involved in social media. And I'm now doing that with, with, the, with these two books. Uh, now, I think it's still good, in my opinion, to try to merge those with the traditional ways of selling and marketing, which I'm showing you there in bullet point two, the face-to-face contact. But if you don't do social media now to market and sell, you're, you're lost. So um, uh, I have a good friend who uh, runs, uh, he's the general manager of Burke's Hardware. If any of you are from Raleigh, you know Burke's Hardware. They're just around the corner from us. We do get all our hardware products from there. And uh, he's a little younger than me. He's in his mid-60s. I'm 70. And we were talking about this one time. And he said, oh, yeah, Mike, uh, you know, we've had to learn. He said, we we used to sell the old-fashioned way and market ourselves. Uh, maybe some ads in the newspaper. Just But we relied mainly on word of mouth. He said, no, now we've learned. We've got to get on social media, Facebook, et cetera. So this has dramatically changed. In terms of skills here, the traditional skills like advertising, writing, Uh, Those are still important, but now graphic design, uh, digital marketing, video production, et cetera. So uh, this, again, just like uh, product development, this is an oldie, uh, but it is still important. And the point is the way you do sales and marketing has changed, which means new kinds of jobs. All right, number five job. Healthcare. Uh, uh, Well, healthcare is important, and healthcare is going to uh, spur a lot of job growth simply because we're an aging society. Um, uh, the fastest growing segment of the uh, demographic groups will is and will continue to be those 65 and older. In North Carolina, for example, uh, in 2010, the 2010 census, 13% of people living in North Carolina in 2010 were 65 and over. By 2050, that's expected to be up to 23%. That's a dramatic increase, dramatic increase. One of the things we're worried about at the university level is where the birth rate is so low that we're expecting actually to see the number of college age, college age people, people over the age who typically go to college actually go down even in North Carolina over the next several years. But anyway, uh, healthcare care, uh, very, very important because, number one, of that growing elderly population. But I think in general now, as we have become a richer society, which we are, we are now more attuned to health care issues. We don't want people to be suffering. I think that's one of the reasons we, we address this pandemic much differently. If you read history, the way it was addressed 100 years ago, the, the so-called Spanish flu of 19. 19- 17 and 1919, which killed 500,000 people on a population about a third as big as we are now, uh, third to fourth. So uh, MDs, nurses, therapists, uh, support workers, uh, we'll need more of those. Plus uh, medical uh, science is changing. Medical equipment is expanding. We need people who are going to develop and market and make that medical equipment. So there's a segment here that involves manufacturing. So, a wide range of skills that can be used here obviously, medical training, manufacturing, as well as, and this is the final thing what's called um, the development and operation of healthcare simulators. This is, this is cutting edge to where um, uh, medical care and medical research is trying to simulate different kinds of diseases and problems and work on them. So, they're not working on a real person, but they're working on a simulator. Another aspect of this is remote operations. We already saw during the pandemic that a lot of people got involved in telemedicine, my wife did, because doctor's offices were were closed. So you communicated with your doctor through the computer. Uh, Pictures and and real live scans, et cetera, she she did that with her issue. Um, Down the road, we may be able to have operations that are done via the, um, uh, you have a, a, a robot, an avatar, that's in place A, and it's being directed by a doctor who could be thousands of miles away. So this, although this is uh, healthcare, of course, is an, is an area that's been long with us, it has been expanding. it is again, like the others changing, and, and the skills that will be needed here are different. All right now, number six, John. Energy. Uh, we of course need energy to keep our economy going. Um, You're probably gonna see a different focus in the Biden administration from the Trump administration in terms of of what energy areas are are focused on. But we need energy. Uh, I think everyone agrees that developing and refining renewable energy sources, that's going to be a source of growth in the future. Also though, uh, we've got our fossil fuel sources and I think there's a room there for those sources to continue, but on a cleaner basis, things like carbon capture, et cetera, or scrubbing uh, emissions from like coal plants, et cetera. So I think both of these areas, the, the new renewable sources as well as the older fossil fuel sources will be with us. Again, it's gonna be interesting to see how to the extent they, they grow or not grow over the next uh, several years with the, with the new new administration. But energy is very, very important. We have to have energy to, uh, I often tell my students when they say, oh yeah, we, we use too much energy. I say, well, are you gonna cut down on your um, on your uh, iPhone use and your tablet use? It's there, well, no, no, no. Well, then you need energy. So necessary skills here, very broad construction, uh, installation, that's prob- primarily gonna be in the renewable area, particularly the solar, if we're gonna expand as the governor wants to do his long-term plan to s- expand. Uh, solar power use in North Carolina, we're gonna have to construct more solar farms we're gonna have to install solar feeders in the homes, et cetera, as well as marketing, as well as product evaluation. So uh, a lot of jobs with a lot of skills here, but in terms of the area, we do think energy is gonna be one that's expanding and we'll be adding jobs. And number seven, John, last one, human resources. Um, We're we're still going to be around, uh, although we're going to compete, I think, increasingly with technology. Businesses are still going to use people. Uh, We we do have some things that technology can't do. Uh, So this area cuts across all economic sectors It involves things like short-term training and retraining, which incidentally, I think is going to be very, very, I think you're going to hear more about retraining people in the next year or two years, because the post-pandemic economy is going to be much different than the pre-pandemic economy. And uh, there's going to be a lot of downsizing, in particular, kinds of jobs, upsizing in others. And we're going to need to uh, retrain people and retrain a lot of people very quickly who maybe are out there in their 30s and 40s. They don't have time to spend years in colleges learning something new. So that's a focus of this. Uh, also, the interface between employer and employee. Uh, I think, for example, the Biden administration is going to push not just for a, a uh, higher minimum wage, but they're also going to pr- uh, push for different, uh, more rights for employees. So, uh, if you're an employer, that that means you need to be ready for that. And then, as a recruitment of talent, that's always important. Um, necessary skills again, very broad here: leadership. Uh, management, uh, personal relations, maybe even foreign languages as we become a, uh, still a global economy. We're going to continue to be a global economy. This is actually where I think a lot of the, I often am asked, well, uh, Walden, um, you're teaching NC State. Uh, clearly, it's a university that emphasizes technology and math and engineering, et cetera. Is there any room for the social sciences? Is there any room for for sociology and psychology, and cetera? I say, yes. Absolutely, this would be one area where those, that kind of training that's based on understanding how humans act uh, would be very, very valuable. All right, John, I think we had a couple more slides. Uh, now, these uh, World Economic Forum, you always have to take these predictions with a grain of salt, but the seven areas that I just went over, uh, they argue that those areas are going to account for 90% of future job growth. So there's going to be there's going to still going to be jobs in other areas, but they think these are really the core. If you're again, if you are training, you're advising anyone where what kind of training should you get in order to make sure you're going to have a job in the future. World Economic Forum would say uh, the areas that I just went over would be you'd have a 90% chance of getting a job. And again, I think this is very very critical to know that because the the post pandemic economy is going to be different. Economists like to use this term disruptive disrupted, that simply means the labor market is going to be very, very different, a lot of change, a lot of flux, uh, a lot of ups, a lot of downs in the future economy than in the past economy. And I think we have one more slide, John. We do not. Okay, well, very good. Um, and John, did you have a couple of questions that you wanted to throw at me before we're done?
0: We sure, we sure do. From Ted, Dr. Walden, what impacts will uh, Biden administration have an economic growth over the next year or two, especially proposed tax increases, the stock market, and therefore retirement plan balances? Uh, when do you, th- and also, of course, when do you think the economy will recover from the impact of COVID? No well, stock-
1: I think the, there. yeah, I think the, I mean, uh, second question first. Uh, most forecast right now, and of course, these are forecasts, and, and economists do revise them over time, and you can go on, just go Google my name, Michael L. Walden, NC State University, and you get to my website where I have a lot of these on there. But most economists are thinking in terms of economic activity, GDP, if you will, we're going to be fully back uh, to where we were before the pandemic at the end of this year, at the end of this year. Job market will not be, but, but in terms of economic activity, spending, if you will, at the end of this year. Um the uh i I think what the stock markets and equity markets are looking at right now with the uh, Biden administration apparently out of the chute' going to recommend another rescue plan, one point nine trillion they're looking positive to that because that throws more money into the economy and we more, more money to spend and so I think that's why we're seeing uh positive reactions at least on the stock market I, I think there are a couple of um, um, uh, Potential dangers there. I'm looking for slightly higher inflation this year. I think I'm looking also for slightly higher interest rates, but I'm not. I'm not talking about anything in the double-digit areas. I'm talking about going from maybe one and a half percent inflation to two and a half or three. Still on a on a on a relative basis, a big jump, but nothing like the double digits we had, for example, in the in the early uh, '80s. Now, um, they're probably, Biden administration is probably gonna do the stimulus first, they're probably gonna do maybe an infrastructure package, which I, the Trump administration tried to get done for a long time, uh, did not, uh, that probably do that second. The tax stuff will come later, and I think there will be a lot of uh, division on that. Uh, I think if you look at what uh, President-elect Biden talked about during the campaign, and since being elected, he's talked about he wants higher corporate income tax rates, he wants higher rates on higher income people. Uh, he wants to make some adjustments in, in deductibility of certain things, et cetera. Uh, he wants to uh, increase uh, the amount that higher income people pay into Social Security. So um, depending on how, where those revenues are going to be used, because I think my view is when you talk about tax increases you want and you want to evaluate, is the, is the economy going to respond positively or negatively, you want to find out where are those money are going to be used that those went into, for example, infrastructure. And I think we desperately need better infrastructure in the country. The market, the, the economy, uh, people, players in the economy might, might react positively. But um, the political aspects of that, of course, are, are very, this is outside my lane, but with a Senate 50-50 Senate, I know the vice president can break a tie, but right now you still need 60 votes to get anything done in the Senate. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to see whether those proposals, how they're met. And the likelihood that they get through.
0: Dr. Walden, uh, from Jim, looking at domestic manufacturing, more domestic and agile manufacturing. How would that affect U.S. economy from GDP, foreign manufacturing, uh, foreign exchange, real loanable fund market? Do you see in the general domestic manufacturing helping this economy or the return to that? Will that continue?
1: yeah, manufacturing has come back. Now, I think the trend of manufacturing is still going to be using more technology you no know, more machinery, fewer people per dollar produced. Manufacturing is not uh, at large going to be a big uh, employment generator. but we uh, our competitive position in manufacturing has improved dramatically over the last ten years. These are the other countries. I think there's going to be a renewed focus in, in in the U.S. to perhaps rebuilding some of our supply chains. We saw the problem there when, when China went down about a year ago in the province of Yuan due to the virus before it got here. That affected adversely many of our manufacturers because they couldn't get inputs they were buying from China. I think uh, we're going to see some revival of some of those domestic supply chains. I think there's going to be a big push to make sure We have enough medical supplies, stockpiled, ventilators, masks, gowns, that could help North Carolina because we're a manufacturing state and we're also a textile state. So I do look for manufacturing to continue to be, and it has been. We manufacture now more than we ever had. Now, as a percent of the economy, it's lower, but we manufacture more than we ever had. I think it's gonna continue to be an important part of our economy, but the way manufacturing is done, I think is gonna
0: continue to shift away from labor to capital. Thank you. Just a couple more questions if you're okay with that. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. All right. From Kevin, how important will job location be in a post-COVID world, given that so many of us have become so accustomed to working remotely when we move to a situation where many jobs will be remote as opposed to based in a particular office location? I think you were leaning toward yes, but I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: Oh, that's going to be very important. That's one of the trends that I'm very, very interested in following. We had about 8% of people working remotely pre-pandemic. At the height of the pandemic, these are numbers from Stanford University, it got up to 40%. It's backed off. It's close to 30% now. But I think remote working is here to say it's not for everyone. It's not for every company. But I think it's going to stay with us at an elevated level and may even an increase. I can see a lot of advantages for a family in terms of their work uh, family balance from remote working. And if you don't need, need to commute into a job, think about the ability to, to buy a house anywhere where land prices are cheaper. Uh, you combine that with the potential for remote, remote education. Uh, I think we could see a big shift in, in, in how not everyone lives, but how a lot of people live. So yeah, and, and if I was uh, an investor in commercial real estate, uh, I would be very cautious. Not so much here in North Carolina. I think we're we're fine. We're actually probably going to get a bump up Our economic growth rate as we get more relocations from other states. Uh, And of course, in Raleigh, where I live, we've continued to have announcements of new commercial development, for example, downtown South, which will, in effect, double the size of downtown Raleigh. Um, But uh, I, I think you just need to be cautious about commercial real estate and make sure you've got the potential growth there to fill those buildings. And a lot of other metros. I mean, I read an article yesterday about San Francisco. Uh, they're really people are really worried in San Francisco because people have left, people are remotely working, and downtown San Francisco and many, many places is a ghost town. So problems certainly uh, in other areas, not so much I think in North Carolina.
0: I think uh, a couple questions and then we'll wrap up. Thank you so much. Uh, what is the future of nonprofits?
1: Uh, I think nonprofits will always be with us. They play an, a, a very important role in in our economy, in our public policy debates, in in uh, focusing on some specific issues. Now, of course, the uh, deductibility issue there, tax deductibility. There were some restrictions on that during the Trump administration. My guess is the Biden administration will look to restore full deductibility of uh, of various kinds of, uh, of contributions that are on nonprofits. Uh, I think. With, and I don't get into this, but with a lot of the social issues that have been revealed in the last year and continue, I think many, many large businesses will look to increase their presence in focusing on those social issues. And a way to do that is through nonprofit.
0: From, that was from Megan. From Reed uh, has a question about will, will companies continue in, to invest in their employees, or is that, and to help with upper mobility, or is that human factor going away?
1: I actually think that um, with so many changes that I foresee in the job market and the skills that are needed, I think companies are actually going to be more willing and likely to invest in their employees. They may be strings attached, that is to say, if we retrain you to do do these new tasks, you have to sign an agreement to stay with us for X number of years, and we don't want to retrain you to go somewhere else. But I actually think that on the job training, apprenticeships, for example, for new employees, on the job training for existing employees, I actually think that's going to be a uh, grow as part of our, of a, as part of our business um, operations. Um, I think that what, what I think they're going to be increased focuses, foci in the future on tasks rather than someone trained in a broad field. Uh, businesses increasingly are going to want people to do specific tasks and that those tasks may change, which makes it, I think, important for businesses to say, hey, we need to have an in-house training capability to do this. So I think actually in, I think, businesses' involvement in in worker training is going to increase.
0: Last question. Thank you. We hear that skills are in short supply from Chris, but there are millions, maybe, of Really, of people senior that are underemployed. What's your message to 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, and how do, does does an economist define a skill shortage? Talk to the people maybe in those age groups that feel a little nervous.
1: Well, the easiest way to look for look at a skill shortage, you look at the the uh, uh, wages being offered. If something is in short supply relative demand. The price of that's going to go up. So if you have a particular skill set that's undersupplied relative, man, you're going to see the wage or salary go up. So that would be the easiest, most direct way to say, we've got shortages here. And of course, that's the signal in the market, labor market, to get people to move into that area, to, to get trained for that area. Um, for people in, the, well, I'm 70, so I've, uh, I'm still working. Uh, yeah, there are more opportunities for people uh, I, I'm, I'm using the moniker now, 70 is the new 40. I mean, that's how I'm convinced myself. And I'm not, not really, I may, may say 70 on my driver's license, but I'm not really 70. But yeah, I think, um, um, because did of the, the way the, I mean, for example, my late father, he retired when he was 62, He pretty much retired because he physically couldn't do the job. He was a carpenter all his life. He just physically could not do it. I can continue to work, uh, as long as I got a brain, uh, I can continue to work. And uh, so, there, so I think the, the, the um, uh, labor pool of those, you know, we'll just say over 65 is growing, as I said, relative to the rest of the population. So yeah, I think there are a lot of opportunities there for people uh, who are in, in that elderly category to, to work, uh, maybe, maybe retire, then come back um, or continue to work, much different than, than in decades past. When there weren't as number the number of people there, number one, and when the job um, requirements were more physically oriented to as opposed to cognitively oriented. The fact they're more cognitively oriented is helping.
0: The last question is for you. I'll let that be the last words of this discussion. Um, Thanks for coming to us so often and so helpful. Hopefully, we we can check in with you later in the year and things will even be better. Uh, Where can people get information for your materials? Yeah, not only the the weekly, but, but the books and the tapes. Please tell us where we can go to get that and stay up with some of these issues you've raised with us today. Thank you.
1: Well, in terms of books, I have a, an author page on Amazon. and uh, Not that I'm plugging Amazon, but that's where everyone goes. But So I have an author page there. And again, if you want to see the stuff I put out from NC State, go, just Google my, I won't give you the website, just Google Michael L. Walden NC State University, and that'll send you to my webpage for the university.
0: Thank you, John. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you going over time. We'll see you next time. Hopefully, it'll it'll even be better, sir. Thanks. Good.